Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka, and I am so happy because I've got Scott Shimway with me here today. Scott, awesome to have you. Great to be here, Damon. So good. Man, it's going to be fun. I mean, we, it we, is gonna be fun. we're yeah. a couple minutes late because we just got going and it, it just it couldn't stop. So, um, but it's awesome to have you here. Now, Scott, today we're going to be talking about uh, the benefits of business throughput improvement. And for those that don't understand, we'll be talking about throughput, how, how we got exposed to throughput, how we've been working together. But let's, let's start a little bit more with your background. Let's start with your background and kind of understand what where you started and what what you're doing today okay great that's a good question uh, i love genesis stories because they're always like so interesting about <clears throat> how somebody got into what they're doing yeah so yeah. back in uh 92 i was uh, going to school i went to brigham young university and uh if you remember in 92 when people were getting out of college uh, they were not finding jobs you remember that yeah, yeah it was like yeah. that was a that was a bad time. Yeah. Uh, but this is the worst time. <laughs> I don't know. Anybody <laughs> get a job now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, so I was actually studying graphic communications. I wanted to go into the printing industry. Uh, I, for some reason, it just like really spoke my language. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a, a series of really amazing events that we don't have time to get into uh, uh, got me out to Wisconsin. In fact, I met the the president of a, of a company in Wisconsin. He was the president of a company called Subtle Press. It's in Wanakee, Wisconsin, just north of Madison. Okay. And it was Subtle Press at the time. It's now Subtle Strauss. It merged with another company. He walked up to me. We, we met each other um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And he says, hey, have you?" he was impressed uh, with uh, what I was doing. He says, you ever thought about living in Wisconsin? I said, I don't even know where Wisconsin's at. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I know it's cold. Uh, yeah. and I know it's like in the upper Midwest and he says, no, no, really. I'm, I'm totally interested in bringing you on. So I left school and, uh, I moved to Wisconsin and, uh, started my first job there. And it was in the, as a, a pre-press operator, the very first thing, this guy, John Berthelsen is his name and I'm, I'm forever indebted to him. He handed me a book and the book is the goal. I think you have a copy of it on your desk. Yeah, I do. We dug it out. There it because is. Yeah, there you go. There it yeah, is. Get up yeah. there on the screen. If people haven't seen it, I think this thing was printed. It was printed a while ago. I just uh, know 84. That. I think 84. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So he hands me a copy of that book and he says, uh, if you're going to work for me, you need to read this. Yep. Now, I had not been trained in the theory of constraints, which is what that book is all about. Uh, and I read that book and it's something in my head clicked. It's just as I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So the very first thing I did is I took the principles of that book and I applied it to our pre-press department. Um, people would come in and they would say, hey, we need a proof. And oftentimes to get a proof back into their hands, it would take a week or two weeks, depending on the, on the job. And after having read that book, I said, oh, so what's the bottleneck? What's the constraint? What prevents the proof from getting, when the customer drops it off, what prevents it from getting it back into their hands? And if we can shorten that time, we'll be better than any other printer out there. And people, because we, I'm going to offend every graphic artist out there and every, <laughs> every person that's in marketing. They're always procrastinating and they bring it at the very last hour, right? So yeah, yeah. There, there goes half your audience. Yeah. <laughs> so so they, they come in and I said, let's turn these things around faster than anybody else. And then they'll come to us because they need somebody to save them in the end. 
Yeah, I did. I went to work with uh, with the group of people that I worked with. We identified what the constraints were. We, we took the five focusing steps that are taught in the goal, mm-hmm. identified the constraints. We exploited them. Then we supported everyone and everything to the constraint. And we it went from turning proofs around. On average, it took five to seven days, depending on the size of the project. 24 hours. Wow. Bam, yeah. we, were out. we called it hot potato proofing. And uh, it, it started a growth spurt in that company that was remarkable because we were, we, we were able to, to turn things around so fast that when people were in desperate need of getting something printed, they came right to us because they knew we could get it out. Yeah. So then I just took that ideology from the pre-press department. And I said, how do we get things through the press room faster? And how do we get it through the bindery faster? How do we get it back to the customer? And so within, I don't know, I, I think that after a year and a half, I was then the production manager, moved out of the pre-press department as the production manager. And then another year went by and then I was the vice president of manufacturing. And then I was, then I was the vice president of the whole entire company. <laughs> yeah. And, and was there 11 years. And we grew that business from $3 million to $24 million in 11 years. It was a ride to behold. It was yeah. so fun. Yeah. And that's how yeah. I did it. I just, just used the principles and the theory of constraints. So that's, that's what I live, breathe. And that um, just is my whole fiber of every being, of, uh, every fiber of my being. I just, I, that's what I do. That's cool. That's cool yeah. because it, it's, it's for me, the, the theory of strength constraints uh, started out somewhat similarly, but not in the, in the same industry. I, I was exposed to them um, when I was actually running a company that we made checkout counters for grocery stores. We had, mm-hmm. we had a facility here in the, the Pacific Northwest and we had one in Tennessee and it, like you said, it changed the way you look at a, a multi-departmental manufacturing process yeah and and simplified things so much because in there we were we were dealing with well we they're made out of wood but of course they had electronic components and they had plastic that you know trim and laminate and all these other things that all came together but it was really amazing as we looked at it and it didn't take very long you realize that the entire business in both facilities came down to four CNC machining centers. Everything had and to go through those, didn't they? Everything, every piece everything. of custom custom yeah. cut material yeah. had to go through those. And, yeah. and then of course, in the days of, and we'll, we'll talk about this later um, in the day, in those days, and that was in the early two thousands, everybody was thinking about efficiency, right? So mm-hmm. you would look at, you would look at, Oh man, just, these little lots pieces. of lean manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. Lots of lean manufacturing without looking at, it. and they would look at all these little pieces. Well, I can just fit them all over on this, these sheets, you know, cause they were four by 10 or whatever the heck size sheets of, of laminate laminated wood or whatever the heck they were cutting. And the CNC router would cut the shapes out. Right. Well, the engineers that were programming, they're like, Oh, you can add all this stuff and we get this efficiency. We use the material so much better because we'll put parts all over. Well, it increased the, the, the time for each board on that machine while those parts could be made on other simple pieces of equipment in other yes. places in the, in the facility. And after we got into it, we realized that that was robbing us of about 40% of our capacity by doing all that. And what we did is we simply took them off and did one clean cut to get us kind of a square piece coming off the end if they wanted to use it. And those mm-hmm. little pieces were made someplace else on the hand tools by honestly, in the beginning, manual labor until we got up to the volume where we needed another piece yeah. of equipment and could do it. But it was amazing what the, the, the throughput mindset did to do that. And to the, to the day I left that company, we could almost, we could almost predict our sales the next, well, not quite the next week because we did a lot of work and, and cut our whip down, but by how many hours the, the machine ran in the last 72 hours, yes. uh, how much, how much out, output the, the company would have. And that's all yeah. two facilities, 200 people working off, off of four CNC machines. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that you, you can figure out when you really understand throughput and your constraint 
in yeah. your business. It's interesting as you as you were describing the whole thing in my head, uh, I I see how sometimes we make wrong decisions in business, and that is, oh, I want to be more efficient with this uh, part, right? So a piece of wood, and I want to get as many pieces out of that piece of wood. So they're going to throw it on a piece of equipment and like and get as much as they can. But then they're yeah. stacked up with like parts that they don't need because they used mm -hmm. every square inch. But yet all that cutting reduced the throughput, in other words, the number of sellable units. Yeah. And so you can you can you can like cut off your nose despite your face sometimes Definitely. thinking about efficiencies of parts that like that you're not even gonna use. And and yet you're they're saying, Oh, we're behind, we can't get the products out, or this these jobs are gonna be late. I, I you see that all the time where you make those wrong decisions. That's why the the beautiful thing about not only the theory of constraints, but what you're calling, and you rightly called it throughput. There's the throughput accounting accounting versus cost accounting. And the big difference is you're tying throughput dollars to sales. You have to tie those two things together because throughput is a measurement of velocity, mm -hmm. you know, the a rate over a period of time. Whereas cost accounting is just like a moment in time where you just take a number. Uh one thing that happens quite a, quite often is people, we're going to get into the geeky part of the accounting. People, they might, this is where you lose the other half of your audience. <laughs> or you <laughs> like, lost the first talk. half because we'll lose the second half now. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm not having that guy back on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, when you, with the cost accounting, somebody will, will run in and they'll say, I need to know the cost of these items. And so you like calculate it in that moment of time. Well, the materials cost this much and it, yeah. and the labor is this much much at this moment in time. But two weeks from now, you know, you could have had a, you know, there could have been a sale on the raw materials, which could have lowered the cost, uh, which would change the average cost over a period of time. But the other more important one is maybe your efficiencies went through the roof. Maybe yeah. you were able to get more units out and getting out a hundred units in an hour versus 200 units in an hour completely changes that. The only way you can measure mm -hmm. that is throughput accounting. You can't measure that in cost accounting. Yeah. Yeah. A, that is a, yeah. Well, there again, if we geek it out a little bit, the cost accounts never liked me. No. Because I, no. I would always no. say I would say that that that, you know, one of the first things I did in that in that company and everyone since is everybody wanted job costing, right? Everybody wants to talk about every, every little piece, every little minute of time that yeah. people put yeah. in on something. And I was like, stop. Yeah. I don't care if you got the fastest thing to do it. It's it's like I don't want to collect data if it's useless data. Yeah. And don't, like, don't ask oh, me that no. question again. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. What are we going to do? How are you going to know how much the job costs? I said, if I really want to know, we'll figure it out at a point in time. Like you said, totally. You figure it out yeah. at a point in time. But as someone that has to run a business, I run a manufacturing facility or a department. If you understand the throughput and you mm -hmm. understand how much I spent to get that throughput, that's really all you need to know. Yeah. Did I, did I yeah. do it right or not? If I'm, if I'm thinking that I'm going to, if I got $10,000 worth of, of work through that and it, and I spent 5,000 to do it, I made $5,000 in gross profit on that or whatever you want to call it. That's really, if you can get that, that in the hands of the people that can make a difference, you're going to make a huge difference. In your totally. Totally. And you get them to think systemically, like about the yeah. whole business, because that's the important part is, you yeah. know, you're, you're operating an entire business. You're not operating a section of a business. Yeah. And, and if you can think systemically, you'll make a massive change to your throughput. Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, because what's like, you know, it's lying around in every plant that I see every place I walk into, there is excess capacity everywhere and people don't know it. What happens when the boss goes walking through, everybody looks busy, but are they really busy? No, they just look busy, right? So mm -hmm. everybody hides their excess capacity. One, one of the things I love to do is, um, you know, when, when I go into an organization, I tell people like, hey, if, if you don't have something to do, I just want you to sit and play on your phone. Text your friends. Look at Instagram. Get on Facebook. I need to know where the excess capacity is. And you're, if you look busy and you're not, I can't, like you're just hiding it. You're burying a resource that like, like if you're not doing yeah. something, everybody gets to have their phone with them. And that is, that like yeah. goes so against contrary to modern manufacturing well, and there's, man yeah. management just yeah. goes against it. But that's how but I, I find excess capacity. 
it, it is and, that, and that's the easy way because it's visual you can see if there's excess mm -hmm. capacity mm -hmm. it, it is and you're right though when you when you start to think of things businesses and through in terms of throughput the one thing that it, it is it's a universal concept and the one thing i think and i believe you've you've done this before too is you can take throughput and, and go into many other businesses other than manufacturing yeah and it's you know because yeah, yeah. you you look now and you look at uh, throughput is is used in medical settings. It's used in service businesses. It's used all over because it, again, the faster you can deliver your product or service uh, and get paid for it and deliver a good product or service, the better off yeah. your your businesses and your customers yeah. are. Yeah. So to confirm that fact, I mean, that's exactly right. And to testify that that's true. I left the printing industry after 11 years, I realized, oh, it is really cold in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> and I moved back here to Oregon. Uh, my brother-in-law, Mark Skillman and I, we opened up Skillman Brothers, which is a real estate development company. And he said, he says, well, what do you know about real estate development? And I said, I don't know anything about it, but I yep. tell you, I can make it go faster than anybody else's real estate development company. And he said, really? I said, yeah, well, you watch, you do the real estate, I'll do the development. And we built in, and so in five years, so from 2003 to 2008, we built 105 units. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I just used the theory of constraint and it was just him and me. And of course I, I was a paper contractor. I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I didn't throw a hammer at all, but as a paper contractor, I knew, you know, what the constraint was for each project. I would just plan it all out, identify what the constraint was, subordinate everybody to the constraint, exploit it as much as possible. If I had to throw some money at it to elevate yeah. it, to, to go faster. And then that was just a constant process. And we, we had it going on. We 105 units in five years. It was, it was a nutty time. And then 2008 happened. Yeah. And that was the end of that. It's not the real estate wasn't so good after 2008 for a while. No, no. And now, now yeah, that's a whole different story about what that's like yes, now again. Yes, it is. But so when when you when you think about throughput and you think about the benefits to business businesses if they really embrace and and work on throughput improvement, what are some of the things? I mean, we've talked about you know you can get more out the door and things like that, but what are some of the other things that you think that businesses will see if they start understanding throughput and working on throughput? Well, I mean, the, the, the one and only thing that they really will benefit from is increased money. I mean, there's just the amount of money that comes in the system. The whole idea of throughput accounting is that you're watching all the money coming in through sales rise faster than the operating expenses. So, you, mm -hmm. you know, you want those two things to diverge. And uh, when you when you talk throughput and you focus on uh, the constraint of an organization and you harness the excess capacity that's naturally in every organization, um, you know your operating expenses stay exactly the same, right? Mm -hmm. If you can take advantage of all those of the excess capacity, but you can increase the um, amount of units that you're putting through the system, I mean that that just creates that higher profitability. So your net profit goes up. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that you need to go anywhere beyond that by saying, uh, you want more net profit? Let's use throughput accounting and let's use the theory of constraints to do that. The other cool thing about it is, is that it, it creates focus in lean manufacturing and the principles of lean are amazing and great. The difficulty with uh, lean manufacturing is, is that um, when you walk into a plant, they say, yeah, we're a lean manufacturing plant. They're applying lean everywhere. Yeah. It, it's like, it's like happening over there and over there. I mean, they're just, it's just like everywhere in the plant and, and there's, you know, you want to be as efficient as possible, but if you try and um, increase the throughput of a non bottleneck resource, it's not going to change your system at all. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a chain, like I always explain it like a chain. If you take a chain, it's made, made up of a, of a bunch of links, right? And if you want to strengthen the chain, you go and you strengthen the weakest link because strengthening that one weak link will strengthen the entire chain, which is your company. Mm -hmm. If you go and you say, well, I want to strength, I want to like, I'm going to spend money and strengthen all of the links in the chain. 
uh, it doesn't do a blessed thing except for the, the one weak link. I mean, when you change that one, you change the whole thing, but don't yeah. try and don't try and make something efficient. That's not, not the bottleneck resource. Yeah. In your company. Yeah. You're just going to waste money doing that. Yep. That's a good point. And I think too, there's been, there've been people that have, that have successfully used lean and throughput thinking together in some you ways. Do. To, you do. You put them both together. You and, take the lean principles, which are amazing, get the waste out of the constrained resource. Yeah. When you can, when you can focus that. So, you know, um, theory of constraints in one word is. Go ahead. Focus. Yeah. It's focus. That's all it is. Yeah. It's just focus. Yeah. 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 And that helps you because you, you're right. And that, boy, that sh I, I tell you what, once I learned about the theory of constraints too, you get, you really get in tune as a business owner, manager, somebody that has to make buying decisions on, on equipment or something yeah. like that. It's yeah. like, Hey, that new whiz bang piece of equipment is freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. I could run those pieces four times as fast and yeah. no operator in front of them, blah, 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 blah. But if that doesn't mean that you're, you're pushing more dollars out the door, yeah. I mean, good dollars out the door, why are you doing it? Yeah, exactly. If it's not the constrained resource that determines the throughput of the entire system, do not spend a dime on that. And you see that all the time. They're like, yeah, that thing was, that is an awesome piece of equipment. Yeah. They automate it. And then, uh, then the operator stands around, but then they don't take the operator and they don't take advantage of the excess capacity he now has and move him or her over to the, uh, the, the bottleneck resource. Yeah. yeah. There's tons of stuff like that. I love walking into a plant and, and looking around. Cause you can like, you can identify some of those things really quickly, yeah. but yeah. sometimes they're not so obvious where you really need somebody who knows what they're doing because sometimes it's invisible. Uh, sometimes I'll walk into a plant and there, there aren't, you know, big piles of stuff, which is yeah. typically a spot where the, where the constrained resource is, or it will be there and nobody can explain why they're, why the bottleneck is where it's at. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's a policy constraint. I'll give you a really good example. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, yeah, a really good example of that uh, so manufacturing plant, you walk in and, uh, there is, you identify, oh, there is a bottleneck resource and it's right over there. And, uh, people know that it's the bottleneck. Everybody's like, that's the person that they're swearing at. Like, yeah, <laughs> the majority of the foul language. Damon's the slow guy. He's, yeah. He that guy over there. Everybody's got yeah. their finger pointed at, at that yeah. person or that machine or that, that resource. Everybody knows. But then what happens is when it's lunchtime, the bell goes off and everybody gets up and goes to lunch. I'm like, wait, I thought you said that was the constrained resource over there. It is. Yeah. So why is it sitting idle? Cause it's lunchtime. Yeah. What kind of policy is that? <laughs> like it's the yeah. constrained resource. Can't we cross train somebody and like have it run through lunch? Well then people won't, they can't go to lunch together. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, like that's the constrained resource. We subordinate everything to the constraint. So let's cross train some people. And the same thing happens for break time or even a bathroom policy, right? Where the person yeah. gets up and they, they go and leave the constrained resource idle. And, but the policy should be changed to say, look, that resource never sits idle. Let's, let's go. So it's yeah. looking at little things like that. The other one is sometimes uh, the owner or the, the operator, the, the, the person who's in charge of the company sometimes is the constraint and you have to like, uh, what's an example of that? You give them the, you give them like a tap them on the shoulder and says, uh, you need to get out of the way. An example of that is, uh, uh, maybe they're going after the wrong type of work or they're trying to change the business in a way that it constrains the whole company. Um, uh, they implement policies or they ask their people to do things that, uh, that prohibit throughput from happening. Mm. There's, there's a, there are all kinds of things that can happen where the mm. owner um, can really stand in the way, both either mm. by relationships or maybe people don't like them or there's high turnover or customers don't want to deal with them. There's, a, there's, there's a lot of things. You got to remember throughput is like, it's a systemic thinking, right? It's about the whole company. And so yeah. if, uh, if there's not enough sales coming in the door and you have, a, and your manufacturing plant has a lot of excess capacity or your services, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be manufacturing. Yeah. If you're a service oriented 
or a, a company that generates revenue through service and people just don't like you or having to deal with you, then, then, <laughs> then you're the bottleneck. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, and, and you bring up a good point because your bottleneck is not necessarily the area of operations in a business, you know, in a plumbing business and not necessarily the plumbers in the field. It could be the, you know, our marketing or our salespeople generating enough good totally. customers for our people to do this. That's and, exactly right. And, or is the constraint that we don't have enough cash to buy the equipment so we can get more plumbers in the field. Yes. And, you know, there's all yeah. kinds of things that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen companies where cash is the constraint where they, they want yeah. to grow but then their the inability. And so then we say, okay, let's walk down to the bank and yeah. let's talk with them. Let's get some cash. Cause that seems to be the constraint right here. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's all over the place. It's inside the company. It's outside the company. It could be a market constraint, could be sales. You really have to open your eyes to more than yeah. just the, the pile that, that seems very obvious um, yeah. oftentimes in a manufacturing plant, but in service is very different. I tell you, so my wife just had pancreatitis which I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. It was, mm -hmm. it was a bad thing. I was, she was in the hospital for 10 days wow. and I saw so like, I have, I'm, I'm going back to the hospital and I'm going to say, can I teach you the theory of constraints? Because there are some messed up things in a hospital. Yeah. That, that, that not only patient uh, care, the ability to get patients through the system faster, uh, having a better experience. There were a lot of constraints in this healthcare system um, that I just had an experience with. And it wasn't just the hospital that I was in, but mm -hmm. afterwards when we got turned over to other uh, specialists that specialize yeah. in pancreatitis or specialize in um, an MRI or CAT scans or, or even blood work, as a theory of constraints guy that can see bottlenecks, see things that are invisible, I was like, there are some major problems with this healthcare industry. And I, I, I just want to go and get my hands on them and help them out. I mean, really just help. help yeah. Them yeah. Out. Yeah. Well, and, and they're just like, I think that as we, as we get smarter about it, you know, so many different industries, there are opportunities for us to use some of the things that we, and, some of the things that we use in, in vastly different businesses to improve businesses that are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, you talk about manufacturing and healthcare. Well, most people don't understand that there are progressive healthcare systems that are using lean manufacturing and theory yes. of constraints to really understand how they can improve patient throughput, patient yes. care, speed to care. Because, because once you understand that if I can get, Damon in the door in an ER, if I can get in the door in five minutes into the bed or wherever I'm going to go and I'm seeing a doctor in six minutes and he's out the door in 35 minutes or it takes it three hours and that room is tied up for three hours or my lobby's full of people for three hours, oh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not making as much money as I could. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And, and, you know, you look at that and you keep the level of care at the, at the, high as it needs to be because it the level of care is not if it takes three hours the level of care is not any difference in the, if they can get it in 35 minutes because yeah. you're not going to see the doctor any longer it's yeah. just how much you're waiting around or how much you're queuing up in these different places that are the bottlenecks yeah all the way through that and and there are a lot of companies doing some insurance companies that are doing really good at even like the the bottleneck could be moved even before the whole system and they do preventative care maintenance where yeah. you go in and have regular checkups and they're, and they're encouraging um, uh, their clientele to go in and eat healthier and stop smoking mm -hmm. and, and go get certain testing done as preventative yeah. care. That's, and that's beautiful thinking. They'll think, well, I want the people to come in because that's how I make revenue. No, you want better throughput in order to, if you've got healthy people going through your system, then you can care for them all faster. So yeah, yeah there's, yeah, we, we, we could keep going on that. Good stuff on that. Yeah. So you, you've been working on the theory of constraints and then all of a sudden you decided to write a book. Yes. Yeah. So the book is called the invisible four letter word. I have a prototype of it. It's not published yet. Yeah. So yeah. it's, I'm in, I'm in chapter eight of nine at my, um, with my editor. So yeah, let me tell you the story behind that one. Yeah. And, Cause yeah. I was, I always wonder why I, 
because people have asked me before to write a book and i'm like man i, I just don't know <laughs> but what what got you did i mean how when did you start first of all okay so it's been 11 years i started okay. like 11 years ago okay okay <laughs> i just needed yeah. to know yes it takes a long time to write and it but it's 11 years because there's a massive amount of research that's gone and testing that's this isn't just okay. sit down and me writing like principle a b and c let me yeah. let me tell you the like the i'll give you the genesis story of this one too that'd be great uh well, here's what happens. You know this since since you've been classically trained in the theory of constraints. And all of us that have been classically trained um, in the theory of constraints know that every time you go in, you say, identify the constraint. And then, then step number two is like, let's exploit it. Let's do as much as we can to get what we can out of the constrained resource. And then step three is everyone in the company subordinates to the constraint. And that's where you run into the problem. That's where you like, yeah. that's where the roadblocks go up. And everybody says, that's not my job. I'm not doing that. I have what I'm doing. And so there's a lot of people, if you go to some of the theory of constraints symposium, it, the, the bemoaning that happens, like people say, if this is so good, why hasn't the world accepted it? Why hasn't everyone just like, if it really works as good as it's, as Goldratt said that it works, how come the whole world's not doing it? Yeah. I mean, isn't that, it's a fair question. Mm -hmm. And, and I asked that question 11 years ago and then I discovered the, the reason why people don't implement the theory of constraints is the invisible four letter word. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. It's you, you say, look, you need to subordinate to that constraint because that determines the throughput of the entire system. And then the person says, yeah, but I don't want to. No, I got my job over here. Yeah. S sorry. Yeah. It, it is. It's so, so you decided to, so you actually were in this book. You're obviously you're talking about the invisible four letter word, but you're trying things in business and then, understanding I, the results and documenting yes. them and then, and applying it in the book. Yeah. So it's not 11 years of writing. It's 11 years of experimenting. And, yeah. and, and here's how it happened. So, you know, in business, I was like, why are people not like, I would come up with, um, a, I'm a big believer in standards yep. and I would say, okay, we got to implement the standard. And then people would have a hard time, you know, as you know, like living up to the standard, like, performing per the standards yeah. and you would just try and get them to like, no, this is how it should be done. And there's always having to come back and to readjust and to, and to fix those standards, which is good. That's the improvement process. Uh, a couple of years into it, what happened was I met a guy, uh, a friend that came into my life and he was an alcoholic and he just descended into this crazy drinking binge and, it was, it was awful. It was awful for him. And because he was so close to me, it was, it was a terrible time in my life because I was connected with him. Mm -hmm. And one day, uh, he, he stole my truck to go buy some alcohol. He didn't tell me he went, and got yeah. it. Uh, and then my truck was missing. I came home at night and I'm like, where, where's my truck? And then I realized this guy has it. And I literally drove, three or four hours that night around town trying to find, I went to every place that I thought where he might be and finally yeah. found him in a parking lot, completely passed out, having drunk three full bottles of vodka, cheap, cheapest oh, vodka, just yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Passed out. Uh, so, uh, I, the very next morning after we sobered him up, I sat him down and it took us hours. And I said, why, what is going on? You know, that you shouldn't be doing this. And we've had, we've had massive discussions. Why? And then he said, he just said, I can never get what I want in life. And then my little light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, Oh, that's the problem. We, we want what we want and we don't want anybody else to tell us what we want. And if they do tell us, what we should want when we don't want it, we get emotional. Like a little kid, like you get, you go to the, you go to the store and the little kid says, Oh, I want that candy bar. You say, no, you can't have that candy bar. Then what's the kid do? He gets emotional. 
Yeah. And then once he gets emotional, then he becomes irrational. And what I discovered, uh, and I sat down with some psychology friends, is that there's this thing in your brain called the amygdala, and it gets hijacked. So what happens is it's it's the part of your brain that is the logical thinking process, and you're logically thinking until emotion overcomes it, and then it yeah. stops working. It doesn't yeah. think anymore. It just is. You're just emotionally hijacked, and you don't think anymore. You just react. So, if you don't get what you want, then you become emotional. Once you become emotional, you become irrational, and then you justify certain actions, which is the fourth step down. And you just say, "I'm gonna." So the little kid will just take him. Wants the candy bar. Mom says no. He becomes irrational. Then he starts to throw a tantrum, and then he says to his mom, "I hate you." So what's the last thing that happens? She's like, oh, there's no candy bar for you. And now you're in timeout where you're going to go home and you're going to spend the rest yeah. of the day in your room. So the very last step is you become powerless. Now, all of us in our lives go through this process. We become in the book I described, like imagine um, an Egyptian pyramid built upside down. How long yeah. would that last? Not very long. It would not last very long. A little bird just comes sit on the yeah, corner yeah. of the He's pyramid, like, right? And the whole, the whole thing would be like, boop, right over it goes. And our lives are like that. We, we become upside, we're like upside down pyramids. It's unsustainable. And it all is because of the invisible four-letter word. When we don't get what we want, we become emotional, we become irrational, we justify certain things. Then we take action on those. And then we're powerless. We find ourselves yeah. in a powerless position. So yeah. in the book, I really outline, you know, what it's like to be upside down. Yeah. What it's like to get yourself right-sided like a strong, stable Egyptian pyramid. And, you know, Goldrat says, and this is where the theory of constraints comes in. Goldrat Gold always said, you know what to change. You need to change your life from being upside down to being right-sided. That's what we change too. And then the hard part is really how to cause that change to happen. And so I explore and reveal um, what I call the core of how to go from being an upside down person to becoming right-sided through the principles of the core. And yeah. I'll let you read the book. It's, it's really fascinating that you can actually um, make sure that you stay right-sided in your life, stay strong yeah. and powerful. Because the bottom of a right-sided person's life uh, is power. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a stabilizing, powerful people honor and respect you when you're right-sided. And we naturally use those terms. Like if somebody is like flying off the handle, you're like, that dude is upside down. That's, that's just a natural statement we say, right? And then when somebody is really strong and, and powerful, we say, that guy is so right-sided. It's just yeah. a natural thing that we say in our lives. So yeah. I've incorporated those in the book. Well, and you make a good point because you think about people and you think some people that are go off, like you said, at, at a at a moment's notice. There, there, mm -hmm. there's something far beyond that moment that's causing them to do that. And yeah. like you said, with the instance you talked about somebody uh drinking, it's it's um there are other things that are causing us to do it. And if you can find that just like just about anything, if you can find a root cause and address it properly, mm -hmm. it, it it you can drastically affect the outcome. Yeah, drastically. The cool yeah. thing about this book is uh, I've been teaching actually the principles for quite a number of years, even though the book hasn't been published yet, but I, but I've got presentations and I go into co companies and I, and I teach the principles. The, the thing that brings me the greatest amount of joy and satisfaction is uh, even in my own company and others, they'll say, Oh yeah. Uh, like I came to work today and I was upside down. People will just like self-identify like I yeah. was, I was not in a good place. I was upside down, but I'm going to take a deep breath. Then they use the principles of the core. Like, I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to remember what I really, really want. And I'm going to get myself right-sided. And then what happens is they cancel out the negative effects of the amygdala hijack. Yeah. They get themselves right-sided and then they can begin to clearly reason and think, actually discover uh, how to overcome conflicts. That's another thing that's in the book is um, conflict resolution. Yeah. Um, once you're right-sided, then I can resolve any conflict, anyone. Yeah. And I've done it hundreds of times uh, yeah. because if you use the principles, they, they work and they work really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it is, I, I tell you, you, you really got me intrigued now. So when's the book going to be out? First of all, I need to ask uh, So my editor is, there's nine chapters. We're on chapter eight of nine uh, I was shooting for the end of the year, but we, we still, 
not gonna get we're, it quite we're then. christmas it's not gonna be yeah, yeah so gonna it's gonna be, gonna be it'll probably be i'm gonna say second quarter of next year okay okay cool it'll be published yeah. well we'll have to i'm gonna have to get it and read it because you know yes what you're talking about has a lot of applications in in manufacturing and and theory of constraints and like you're saying the 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 emotional and how your brain gets hijacked but but it really sounds to me like this book is more about life and living a life that's more more like you want it to be in in lack of better words yeah people will often say well is this this for the individual or is it for the business (laughs) and my response is always a business is made up of a bunch of individuals. Yeah. And if those individuals don't have their lives and if they're not living in a right-sided manner, then your whole organization is going to be upside down. You, you know, you've seen organizations where they're just full of drama and people mm-hmm. that are, that are upside down and they're dysfunctional businesses. They're dysfunctional because the people within them are like that. And uh, the goal of this book is to like get, hand it to every person in your organization and then you can all speak the same language. Like mm-hmm. the person comes in and says, I'm upside down today and I need to just like get myself right-sided. Then everybody else is going to say, great, we completely understand the framework and we'll help you get right-sided. And yeah. they all work together. And uh, I see that over and over again. It happens in, you know, I work at Bioskin now. I'm the president of Bioskin. People walk into my office all the time. They're like, okay, okay, just help me get right-sided. And I'm like, okay, let's walk through it. And then they do five minutes later, they walk out and they're like, okay, I can solve some problems now. And they do. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to do things the right way. And it, it it like works. It works every time. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about this book and I'm thinking about what you're teaching people. And I'm thinking about the, it, it's really interesting because you're connecting good personal development with improving business that's exactly right and they work into it which you know i used to always and i didn't even realize the connection until now i used to always tell people when we worked on safety i said listen workplace safety i don't want you to get hurt at work but i really don't care about you being hurt at work and they look at me funny they say why i said because i want you to be able to play with your kids when you get home I want you to be able to cook dinner with your wife. Whatever you want to do, I want you to go fishing. I want you to go ride your bike. Whatever you want to do, if you get, I want here, you to come back tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, <laughs> I, whatever you want to do. I said, I, I really, I really don't care about the effects that happens if you get hurt at work. I, I care more about how it's going to affect you outside of work, and that's yes. why we need to be super safe here in work. And what you're talking about is something that that I think even goes to a deeper level than, than what I was talking about is that when you can make a person more whole or, or more stable, I'll just mm-hmm. use a different mm-hmm. word, not whole, but mm-hmm. that, that whole wasn't the right word, but stable so yeah. that they have a way to deal with more things in a different way, more positive that when they come to work, they're going to be more stable when they walk in the door they were more stable last night when they were talking to their their kids their wife their friends about whatever's going on they deal with those problems much differently because now they have a framework to deal because you go back back up a little bit and you go to we aren't taught these things right we aren't taught these things no when you we talk about personal development you talk about really understanding how to uh not creatively, constructively mm-hmm. solve problems in life. Yes. We're not really taught this stuff. So no. by you being able to teach people in your business, how to constructively get themselves in the right state of mind, solve problems, deal with them, whatever they need to do, but have that right focus and right state of mind. It has to, it has to drive pretty incredible change in business. It drives results like it's unbelievable. I, I love to say a corporation is actually a cooperation. Yeah. Yeah. Corporation is cooperation. A, a corporation is actually a cooperation. It's yeah. a bunch of people working together. It, and you can have as many standards and policies and procedures, but if the people come to work and they are like mentally like. Yeah. N- not right side i'll just use the principles from the book if they're not right-sided if they're upside down 
there's nothing you can say or do to get them. I mean, you could just like, this is the way the policy is. And then they, then you turn around and walk away and then, and then they're using real life four letter words and calling yeah. you things behind your back and sabotaging your equipment or the throughput or the person or just, next to them. Yeah. There's just yeah. so much stuff that happens when you can't do that. Because if you're, if you teach people how to solve life problems mm -hmm. in general, mm -hmm. I don't care if you're an engineer you're a manager of a department or you're someone that's, that's, you know, nailing two pieces of wood together on a construction site, you're going to do it better. If you've, yeah. if you've been able to solve that problem and it's not sitting there eating at you lingering and making you feel like, you know, just feel horrible or upset or whatever it is, you're going to be better at what you're doing then. And you're going to be happier and healthier. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Dude. That's good. Yeah. Stuff. Oh, thanks. Cause thanks. it just get, it gets you, it gets you going because it, as you, as you know, and we, how many, how many gazillion people talk about culture and leadership, right? Yeah. Talk about, oh, yeah. set this yeah. culture, Every, set this, yeah. oh, oh, leadership. And we, we all know what leaders are supposed to do, but when you really break down something that could help a business more fundamentally, then either one of those two, well, how are you going to create a good culture? Well, if people come to work with the right mindset yes. or they're, they're, they, they understand how to communicate. Well, the culture gets a little easier automatically. Yeah. And so Not I just give like everybody that's listening. So the invisible four letter word, right? You kind of, you kind of see it right there. Yeah. You bet. Have you figured out what it is? No. Oh yeah. See, cause we've said it like, we probably said it. If we go back and re-listen to the podcast, I'll bet you we've said it. 30 times <laughs> and because to me it's the concept it's the concept of giving people the the framework yeah. and, the, and the way to help themselves yeah. and it, it's one of those things that we um you know it drives culture it'll drive it better drive leadership culture. yeah it's going to allow you to, to facilitate better culture yeah the whole point is everybody has to come to work you wanting to be united you know yeah. we have a goal in this corporation and everybody needs to come and say yep i want to be united with that goal that's yeah. what i want I just said it. Now you have the yeah. invisible four letter word. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, <laughs> it's, it's like the, I, I just, whatever the word really, you know, and, and I, you just said the word and I understand that, but the concept that you're, you're talking about, I think is, is very powerful. Yeah. I, well, I don't think I know it is. No, it's, it, it's super powerful because once people get aligned, ugh, there's yeah. nothing that a corporation can't do. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's fun. I, I, I tell you, and when you're in a business like that and we we're, we're getting close to time here, but I knew this would be one of those where we could talk a long time. We could talk we'll a long again. time. Yeah. But you know, you can do crazy things. Like you talked about with the printing press in the, in the pre-printing and just using theory as constraints and working with, when everybody's working on something, you can do tre tremendous things. I mean, yeah, I, I've been fortunate enough and I know other people that have talked about it. You really can't explain it, but you can go into business and and take something we in the check stand company after we are doing other things with constraints and things we just said listen how can we how can we deliver what do our customers really want yeah and and they said they want to get their products when they want them i said well how fast do they really want them and and it was like well our lead time and said i don't care what our lead time is I said how fast do they really want them and because I would, I would see, you know, we two 200,000 square foot buildings and we'd walk out into the warehouses of them and we'd have, you know, a store of checkout counters that was sitting there, done. And I'm like, why are these there? Oh, they moved the construction date. They moved the construction dates. Now, you know, construction dates moved mm -hmm. a little bit mm -hmm. and, and these things happen. Well, we decided to go, well, how often do they move the construction dates? Well, we have to, they have to give us eight weeks, tell us with eight weeks lead time how it is, but they, the, you know, the construction dates will move around. So we just, we'll, we'll finish the product and hold on to it. I said, well, that's money. Those are dollars. Mm -hmm. So how, how long does it take before, you know, pretty much they know that they, they're going to be able to use them so they could, before they don't change this construction date, the construction is, it's past the problem stage and they're going to open that store or they're going to remodel that store or whatever they were doing. They said, well, it's about a month. And I, I, I don't even know how I used to travel and drive a lot. And I was driving down the road and I think, I think it was, I was in the South someplace. And I was like, what if we could deliver them in two weeks? And, 
when you take these kind of things and you get people working together, we did it. We you, went from eight, can... we went from eight to two and totally do it. We, we did that and we reduced the cost by 40%. Yeah. Now let me and ask it, you a question. Let me ask you a question. How many other people were involved in this? Everybody. Everybody. And did Absolutely everybody, everybody. Want, did they all want the same thing? Did they yep. all want did they all yep. jump on board? That's yep. the power. Yep. So everybody in, in your story, you use the invisible four-letter word. I counted it four times. <laughs> <laughs> and, but this and, stuff is this stuff is so powerful when you can do, like yeah. you said, you get people working from the same framework, and then you go, okay, how do we do it? And not, and not like all the reasons why you can't do it. Just how do we do it? Yeah, yeah. And you just bring up another thing and go, oh, that's just something we have to solve. What's the next thing we have to solve? We just figured that one out because we got yeah. all these people, you know, the accountant over here that nobody listened to before. Now they they just gave us the best idea, yeah. you know. This is so much creatively, fun. They're creatively oh, yeah. giving you the answers. It, yeah. it, it is marvelous. And that is really the principle. Once you're right-sided and everybody has got the same wants, then yeah. they have positive emotions, right? Remember the negative yeah. emotions like completely yep. snuffed out the amygdala and the thinking process. But when you have a positive emotion running through you in the book, it shows like how the chemical reaction of dopamine and serotonin and the positive chemicals that run around in your body actually cause your, your thinking process, the amygdala to like go the opposite direction. Yeah. Creativity goes through the roof. Your ability to see things that you never saw before goes, goes just is heightened and then you come out the other side, like, yeah, let's do that. And everybody else does too. They're giving high fives to each other and then they take action. And then it just makes for a powerful team. I, I tell you, the organization that I'm watching right now, SpaceX is a right-sided organization. Those people are, yeah. they are just there. I can tell that if you walk into that organization, they are, everybody there is cooperating and they are working together. And they, the throughput of that organization is unbelievable. Cause they're all yeah. right individuals. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, Scott, it's been awesome talking to you and I yeah, hope, I hope like the, listeners, the, the listeners got, got some of it. I know I sure did. And, and thinking about throughput and, and just really the benefits of throughput. And I'm really excited to, to, uh, for the release of your, the invisible four letter word book that's coming out in the first quarter of next year. It'll be yeah. awesome to see to take a read on that one that's out but thanks so much for being here today man you're welcome damon thanks for having me on appreciate it you bet well everyone thanks thanks for listening you know we're here every tuesday and thursday we're taking off a couple of weeks here for the holidays uh just want to wish everyone a happy holidays and we will um if you haven't heard us already we are on most of the the popular podcast channel so you can check us out there you can check us out here on linkedin or facebook or twitter where we're hitting when we go live and uh, just glad to have you here and we'll be back again next year thanks a lot everyone